Hi everybody, welcome to Ornate Stairwells. <laughs> I was remembering that I was going to look at something before we hit record, but you just... Okay. I'm Onum. This is a movie podcast. I'm joined as always by Neve. Hi, I'm Neve. Uh, you watch any movies? Um... I mean, the spreadsheet is set up so that I talk first, but I kind of yeah. just threw you uh, by accident. I mean, I, I watched like... Well, I watched three movies of the thing, and I'm not going to talk about one of them. Yeah, you are Sid and Nancy, which... Yeah, because... This is going to come up on Pop Down Funk. Yeah. Um, I thought that you would have watched it by now, but... I you was just going had to... kind of a, a weird day yesterday, so. Yeah. I mean, I just had a mental health crisis yesterday. <laughs> I'm... I was leaving it up to you to say that part. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, we'll get... It. Probably Sunday, question mark? I don't know. Anyway. Yeah. Um... So, I watched Prometheus. Uh, well, okay. Nora went on Alien Quest. She yeah. start, she just booted up Alien Isolation randomly, which seems like a really cool game. I think I was talk- I talked about it, if not on this podcast last time, some other podcast recently, anyway. And then she was watching Alien 3, and then she was watching Alien 4. I was really only around to watch Prometheus. Um... <clears throat> And I think I talked about this on Pop Town, maybe. I don't know. Anyway, uh, I was well. Right on... It was Pop Town, or I think it was Pop Town. So I don't think there's been an export. Have we done export? I don't know. I don't know. I have no idea. Yes, we did because we finally answered all the damn Space Jam questions. Oh yeah, and you mostly talked about Alien, and then you talked about Space Jam a little bit. Yeah. Anyway, um, so I guess I don't need to talk about Prometheus because Nora and I did the whole spiel about Prometheus. Yeah, have I you mean, seen Prometheus? I have. Um, how, how do you feel about it? So when I watched it, was like, so Netflix was still doing discs. Oh shit! I got the disc of it. Netflix is not going. Hi everybody! This is our one year anniversary of doing stairwells or or thereabouts. Anyway, yeah. we're we're basically gonna have two episodes because the timing is weird because. This started before, like, podcasts had a regular schedule here on Export. Yeah. Or at least some of them did. So I feel like some of our first ones were just kind of weird. Like, we would record, and whenever we recorded, it was out the next, like, day. Yeah. Um, And now there's, like, a schedule, and so it means that our first episode is, like, smack dab in between two episodes. So this is, like, slightly before one year, and then we're also going to do The Third Man, which is slightly after one year. So, um... Go for it. Um. <laughs> anyway, all that just set up a dumb joke that I was going to make. Cause, uh, do you think, like, Netflix won't be a company that exists by the time we do Stairwell's year two anniversary or year three? I'm going with year three. Yeah. <laughs> but I wouldn't be surprised if Netflix ceases to exist by this time next year. <laughs> I feel like... I mean, part of it is, like, I just don't think that they understand how to, like, get things back on track right now. Yeah. But I think they have the money that they could possibly survive, but also, like, their business model just makes no sense right now. And part of it is because everybody else that is competing with them yeah, has, like, other things that are making money, and so the streaming doesn't have to be the one thing that's making money for them. Mm-hmm. And they can kind of... Like, I think part of how Disney Plus and stuff works is that, like, yeah, they're maybe not making the most money off of Disney Plus, but it's still, like, a promotional tool for Disney. Yes. 
Yes. Having no... Disney Plus makes you more excited about every piece of Disney thing that's going to come out. Yes. Including things in, in like, theaters, including, like, going to buy merchandise and stuff. That is not true of Netflix, because Netflix just has their shows, and they just, like, will do a season or two and then cancel it. And Yeah. Like, none of it... I'm sure that there's some stuff, like... At this point, we canceled Netflix, but we're stealing someone else's and mostly just watching kids stuff on it. Yeah. And I'm sure there are, like, Octonauts toys out there, and that's probably, like, the one merchandising thing that... Yeah, I feel like... I guess Stranger Things, too, probably. Uh, has some. Granted, I don't use any of this, but I feel like um, Netflix, of all the streaming services, does the best with children's content. Yeah, I that and and Disney Plus just because Disney Plus has like yeah, they have yeah. Mickey Mouse. Yeah, what's interesting because sorry, this sorry, point, Mickey the Mouse. At this point, we have like set up um, most of the stuff where there is like a kids thing, and the, what I found interesting is we use it the least because the main thing on it that we would like want to watch is just the the Sesame Street because. Uh, like episodes because um, HBO bought mm-hmm. Sesame Street, but there's some agreement where like they still get they first show up on HBO and then show up on PBS or something. Huh. Sesame Street's like stratified across classes now, and not just a, <laughs> not just a thing that's free to all children. Tell me how to get if, to Sesame Street anyway, only if you have this much yes. money. <laughs> well, you can come to Sesame Street later, but like in the after hours, if you don't have enough money to come during prime time. But anyway. Um, they have the one that's the most like advanced setup where it's like, you can put in a general age range and then it will like tailor to specific age ranges and the way that nothing else really does. Mm-hmm. Uh, everything else is kind of just like, here's kids content. Yeah. I feel like, um, HBO max in general, like when I look at my profile on there versus when I load up Nora's, like is so wildly different that I feel like HBO Max does the best job maybe of like, this is the algorithm that is tuned to the shit that you watch. Maybe I notice that more because I am primarily using HBO to watch Batman stuff, Adventure Time, and Bugs Bunny. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so HBO Max is just serving me those things. But um, it feels like their algorithm is just of the streaming services, the best tuned to the shit that you want to watch. You know, um, we got so far afield, but how did we, oh, Netflix, um, we're just criticizing. Yeah. I just want, I wanted to make one more streaming service. I just wanted to make one other point about Netflix. Oh, oh, which was just that like an adage that has long been believed to be true, um, and has been really borne out in the streaming era in music, um, Because, like, there weren't numbers for this for a long time, but now there are numbers that, like, most music that people listen to is, like, more than five years old. Like, like, new music is obviously a huge driver of, like, the streaming economy, but most of what most people listen to is older songs because most people were listening to all the new music that came out when they were 17 yeah and then kind of stopped <laughs> you know and so 
and I, I think part of Netflix's issue might be a related thing where, you know, Netflix has to spend so much money making new shows, whereas HBO Max or Disney Plus or Hulu even can be like, well, here are a bunch of shows that already existed. Most yeah. of what people want to watch is shows that already existed. Yeah. You know? People want to watch their damn ER reruns, and whichever streaming service is going to have ER on it is what people are going to go to. And HBO or Disney, companies that have existed for decades, just have a like advantage, I think, probably over Netflix that has to spend more money <laughs> making more content at a much higher price than any of the other streaming services. Yeah. In addition to, you know, HBO and Disney and whoever else have other sources of revenue beyond just subscriptions. Yeah. Because, yeah, Netflix also just doesn't have the backlog. Yeah. Whereas, like, it's far easier to be like, yeah, let's just throw up, like, stuff that we have in the archive. Yeah. Like, like no, not not... There's still a lot of, like, effort and money that has to oh, go yeah, into totally. this, like, archiving stuff. And, like, getting it into a streamable thing, but it's not the same as having to, like, actually hire people and shoot things. And, like, if you just have the rights for it. Yeah. As someone who worked as a low-paid archivist for a while, like, paying one archivist to digitize all of your, like, Winnie the Pooh cartoons. Right. Is going to be cheaper than paying teams of people to animate a bunch of Winnie the Pooh cartoons. Right. Right. (laughs) Like, yeah, like... The first week that we had Disney Plus, Nora and I, we watched a bunch of Star Wars, and we watched like the Sword in the Stone and the Black Cauldron and Winnie the Pooh. I'm sure, I'm sure, a, a plenty of people spent the first month of their Disney Plus being like, "I haven't seen Sleeping Beauty in forever. I'm gonna go watch Sleeping Beauty." Yeah, and like, that's just content that Disney can just put up there, not for free, but for considerably less money than say making a new season of High School Musical, the series. Yeah. Um, but the result is just that Netflix is now the absolute dog shit where streaming service, because they charge the most, and they have, like... Yes. The worst catalog yeah. at the highest price, and they don't offer, um, like, they don't offer features that other streaming services have at lower prices. Like, you have to pay extra for 4K that, like, Disney and HBO, like just give you in the standard package. Yeah. Also, I'm very high on HBO because one, I signed up to get it for six months at half off. And then two, in the last month of that six month thing, they were like, hey, we extended it another six months. So for this first year of HBO, I got it for half price and I use it a lot. <laughs> yeah. So the thing is, I feel like in my life now that one, I just still just like, Cause I'm just always on my like weird shit thing. So I'm like, honestly, a fair amount of stuff that I watched last time I was looking at it. I was like, that's just stuff that I like got off of rare film M or mm-hmm. like torrented. Cause I'm just like parody. Um, cause I'm just like, <laughs> I really want to watch snake and Eagle shadow. That's one of the most incredible Kung Fu like action movies ever made. And then it's not on a streaming service. So I just do that. And right. So, um, but yeah, I feel like, like Criterion's just like my, this is going to be like classics, you know? Yeah. This is going to be like the good, smart, I'm going to feel like I'm watching something smart. Yes. Or Arrow, 
I'm going to watch something dumb and stupid. Yeah. yeah, I think it helps that Criterion and Arrow have, like, identities, Yeah, you know? Yeah, and that then... make those worth, like, you know, even if I didn't watch anything on Criterion all year, I'd probably renew my subscription because I'm like, oh, well, they have an identity, and I like their... I- I like that identity. I'm going to keep supporting like that work, you know, yeah. also it helps that I use it a fair amount. Um, and then HBO is just like the last one for me because it's just, sometimes I just want to watch a dumb, like eighties action movie or something. Yeah. And HBO will probably, it might not have the one that it'll I have like, something. Want, but it'll have something. I'll search for die hard and they'll be like, Oh, we don't have die hard. Did you mean speed? And I'm like, eh, Sure. I didn't mean speed, but I'll watch speed. <laughs> if you any day, any day of any week ever, if you ask me, do you want to watch speed? And I'm like, oh, I got two hours free. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. And then, and then like Disney plus is the one where it's just like, eh, there's just a lot of like kids stuff on Disney, mm-hmm. especially. Um, they, they just own a lot. Yeah. But I feel like Disney is the one that's a little bit more like, would be easier for me to cut out of my life, except that. Yeah. Um, Emily likes MCU stuff. This, I'm in the same boat where I could, I could very easily live without Disney plus. I don't recall the last time I loaded up Disney plus, but Nora wants to have all the new Star Wars at the tip of her fingers, doesn't want to deal with the hassle of torrenting the latest episode of Mandalorian, and that's worth, you know, whatever, 75 bucks a year or whatever it is, like, to just be able to watch Bad Batch without jumping through any type of hoop. Yeah. You know? Um, I, I said to Nora the other day, do you want to rewatch Rise of Skywalker? And if she had said yes, we could have just done it. We wouldn't have the, the, the big problem with rewatching Rise of Skywalker, which I don't recommend anyone doing. We didn't end up doing it. But the thing that would have killed it is if there was any time between me saying, do you want to watch Rise of Skywalker and us being like, what streaming service is it on? Oh, it's not on streaming. Let's rent it on YouTube. Oh, we can't rent it on the TV. I have to go over to my laptop to rent it, and then we can... Uh, no, Rise of Skywalker's too bad a movie. We've quit. Yeah. <laughs> um, anyway, I feel like we're like primed to just do the little thing I was going to do about MCU, but yeah. I was going to finish telling my Prometheus story oh, that I please. started, yes. which is... Um, I remember it was like my old... I have like have a sense memory of the apartment. It's the apartment that I lived on on the south side. And I was on the exercise bike, and I biked the entire time I watched the movie. And that's not a short movie. No. Um, I mean, I it just... is like two hours, three minutes or something, but still, it's yeah. not a short movie. It's not a 90-minute movie. Uh, but this is when I was like poor and working part-time, and one of the things I would just do is rent Netflix movies and bike the entire time that I watch them, um, which is just a thing that's not in my... I can't do in no. my life anymore. No. Uh, for multiple reasons. Um, but anyway... And uh, I was watching it, and there was this guy who I was, like, acquainted with, like, would just talk to you sometimes. Um, And he was like, that's my favorite movie ever, right? Like, before I watched it, and I was just (laughs) watching it. Um, And as I'm watching it, being like... Because he had also been, like, my favorite uh, anime is High School of the Dead. And then I was like, 
uh, Y, and they sent me the clip of when she dodges an attack and the bullet goes between her boobs. And so when he said that, it just fully primed oh. me for this is gonna be stupid. Um, I think I would have liked it more if it was not related to Alien. Yeah, I don't know. There's it's the thing. I just like, never wondered what was up with the space jockey and Alien. I never yeah. thought about that. Um, but yeah. The other thing is, I know a lot of people hate Aliens, but I just loved it as a kid, and watch it anytime I'm sick out of my mind. And, Bad movie. Um, so I just love it, because I watch it when I'm incredibly sick, laying on the sofa, because I've seen it so many times, I don't need to think. Nia, I need you to like cover your ears for a minute, no. while I just tell the listeners something. Aliens is a really bad movie. <laughs> It's a great movie if you just don't want to think for a few hours while you're really sick. I just have movies I would rather watch when I'm not thinking, like Die Hard. No, but I would think too much about Die Hard because I haven't seen it 80 billion times. I've seen it 80 billion times. See, this is the thing. I just I saw Aliens multiple times as a kid while sick, and now it's just a movie that I watch when I'm sick because I don't want to think. It's really funny. The one part of Alien 3 that I saw is at the very beginning... Like, they have to do this gruesome, horrific uh, autopsy on the little girl that she saves. And it's really funny that Alien 3 ends on, fuck everything about aliens. <laughs> or Alien 3 opens on, fuck everything about aliens. That's funny. I I have no opinion mm. about it. It's just funny. Anyway, uh, I also watched the first two movies in the MCU. You did. I don't even think people were calling it the MCU back then. No. This was 2008. Um, Emily and I weren't even married yet. Lord have mercy. Uh, I was still in undergrad. I was 12. Um, and so, yeah, we watched. So what happened is, uh, Emily wants to watch the new Avengers movie. She hasn't watched it yet. Um, unlike me, Emily's more of a fan of the MCU. I'm not, it's not like her favorite movies ever, but she enjoys the MCU. Uh Um, and so she's like, well, I heard that before you watch it, you have to watch WandaVision. So we watched all of WandaVision. I didn't put it in here because it's not a, a movie, but um, I really wish that they had, like, not half-assed. Like, I really wish it was absolutely nailing the different styles of sitcom that they're trying to do. And it, like, gets there a little bit, but not enough for me, a person who's just, like, consumed a bunch of mm-hmm. sitcoms throughout decades. Yeah. Like, growing up and stuff. Yeah. I, like, was very sick um, at one point. Like, one of the first times I was hospitalized with, like, Crohn stuff, watched dozens and dozens of episodes of I Love Lucy to where the little bits and pieces I saw of WandaVision, I'm like, damn, I wish I was watching I Love Lucy. That's a great show. (laughs) Well, and it's this thing of, like, like, what I want is probably kind of a hard thing to do, but I'm like, if this is what you're you're billing, like, put the work into it. Uh Um, Because part of it is, like... The actors are, are generally doing a decent job of, like, matching how patter changed. Mm-hmm. How, like, people used to talk in, like, 50s sitcoms versus how they're talking in 70s or whatever. Mm-hmm. The actors are pretty good at that. And that's probably an easy thing to, like, watch and then do. Yeah. Um, they're trying to do, like, oh, we did this in black and white and it's this aspect ratio. But that's about really it in terms of aesthetics to this degree of like 
I wish that there was more thought put into the way that those things are actually created and how that shapes the aesthetics of the thing. Mm-hmm. That like the way that the set is constructed and the way that you block the actors on the set mm-hmm. and the way that you position the cameras. Yeah. And like this, even just like the style of camera will change how like the exact image is being warped and things. Right. And some of that stuff is going to be like, if you don't have the perfect camera warping, whatever. But I wish that at least I felt like a greater um, attention to detail. Yeah. Attention to like the way that sets used to be constructed and the way that they used to shoot those sets. Mm-hmm. Even if they're still using like modern cameras and they can't fully replicate the style of like an old, you know, TV camera that they're having the very early like recording it to tape so that we can actually put it out over the airwaves or whatever. Um or like stuff that like I mean the earliest ones are like were essentially closed circuit TV technology where it was literally type live TV. Right. Um like Studs Place was a live TV mm-hmm. sitcom that was made. Yeah. Um and there's not a lot of recordings of it because it was live and they had to do like a kinescope of it. But um so yeah, some of it is just like there there was a style to like how this how actors moved in those spaces and how you shot those spaces and they're still shooting it the same way that they shoot anything. And that was the part that like just yeah. broke it all for me. Yeah. Um but anyway um so yeah, Emily watched all of WandaVision in like two nights and then went to watch Avengers and was like, I'm still fucking lost. And then was looking up and was like, okay, what movies do I need to watch? But then there's like conflicting articles about it. Uh-huh. Um, and there's ones where she's like, I don't know if I did see that one because at a certain point, like which of these ones with like vaguely similar names, because they're all named after like, the same superhero. Yeah. Do I, did I actually see? Yeah. Uh, so what she had me do was create a list of every single MCU movie and all of the like Disney plus ones that are considered important to the MCU in a way that like some of those earlier Netflix Marvel stuff isn't. Yeah. Like Jessica Jones. I really like the Jessica Jones show. Doesn't matter to the MCU. Yeah. It is. It is when it was being made, it tied in, but I think now is no longer canon. Yeah. But I really I really like that Jessica Jones show. That's one of my favorite MCU things. Yeah. Or at least it was. I haven't seen it since it was new. Yeah. So anyway, I made the list, and she's going through it, and I watched too. Um, and part of me, I just find this fascinating because we rag on the MCU all the time, but, like, Emily likes it. Mm-hmm. And over the last, like, week, I've just been having conversations with her about, like, how frustrated she is with the MCU, that there's, like, too much of it, that she feels like she can't keep up, that, like, she wants to do other things other than just watch MCU stuff all the time. So this Um, is... And I'm like, this is interesting, because this is someone who's, like, actually doing this and is, like, like, actually enjoys this and is, like, running up against, like, the way that they're handling this now is just... So this is like, and Emily and I talked about this a little bit, like two two paths diverging in a wood, because you were telling me about this, and I yeah. kind of forgot you told me about it, because then I started talking to Nora about it, and I was like, I kind of want to watch the newest Doctor Strange, but in order to understand the newest Doctor Strange, I haven't seen the first one, and then after that, I need to watch the third Spider-Man, and I think I need to watch WandaVision, and that's just the stuff that I know about. Yeah. Like, I... I didn't understand parts of the second Spider-Man because I never watched Infinity War or Endgame, you know? Yeah. Um. So, I, like... <clears throat> I was just telling Nora, I was like, I realized 
I kind of, I fell off in like 2016, 2017-ish, you know, and I just started making like a mental map of all the stuff I would have to rewatch or watch and or rewatch to, to be able to watch the new movie that I wanted to watch. So I didn't actually, the reason I didn't watch all that stuff because I didn't care. <laughs> but now to watch this do, thing I do care about because America Chavez showed up and I'm like, oh, that's a character I like, you know, um, to watch the America Chavez thing, which is just a cameo appearance, as far as I understand, in a Doctor Strange movie, I have to watch all this other stuff, and I was like, ah, fuck it. I was just like, I'm done. I don't want to do that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm still out on the MCU. That's the, that's the two paths diverging in the wood, is I went all through all that and was like, ah, fuck this. And Emily is actually committed to it, and is like yeah. a little frustrated, too, it seems. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I, do, I just think it's... It's just interesting to, like, have someone who likes these movies run up against just, like, the way that this is being made now has, like, become untenable in a way where I don't, I don't know, like, I'm not saying Emily's demonstrative of, like, every person, but I feel like she's a good sample, like, she's a good example of someone who's not one of these diehard MCU fans who is just immediately going to go see everything, Mm -hmm. but that is, like, your normal audience member who you, you should hopefully be able to like count on to be yeah. watching some of your stuff. Yeah. Um, where I'm wondering if this is like at all going to start reflecting in the, uh, my, my friend Kevin has a, has a line, um, that they use, which is just that the Disney has managed to make uh superhero movies suck in the exact same way that superhero comics <laughs> suck. <Yeah. laughs> because I also like, I want to read the chips, the daredevil comic. But to understand that, I know the Frank Miller stuff, but I feel like the Anacenti stuff is probably going to tie in. That's going back to the 90s. Then there's like the the Mark Wade stuff that's much more recent that I started and didn't finish. Does that tie in? I don't know. I was halfway through it, so I might as well finish it. But really, I'm only wanting to finish the Mark Wade stuff that I fell off of reading because I got bored of it so that I can read the new Chip Zdarsky stuff. Yeah. That, like... I, from having listened to interviews with Chip Zdarsky, I know he, he's the type of dude who probably went back and read Daredevil 1 and yeah. just went forward. <laughs> so, like, I know the type of dude that he is and the amount of research that he does into writing his series. Anything's on the table. And I'm not going to go back to Daredevil number 1 from yeah. 1966 or whatever. I'm not doing that. <laughs> yeah. Um... Anyway, so the first two that we watched are Iron Man and The Incredible Hulk. I caught and some of The Incredible Hulk after Sonatine last night. Yeah, both of these I was um, half watching as I read Paradise Kiss, which, uh, just to update, I am enjoying it. I really like um, Yusawa Ai's stuff in general, so like, <clears throat> still ranked high in manga stuff, but just has not like come close to Nana for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and some of it is just that they're high schoolers, mm-hmm. and I just can't care as much about a uh, manga about high school romance as I can about like 20 somethings. I didn't realize Paracus was about, I thought Paracus was also 20 somethings. Um, I don't know if there will be a time skip, but like, I, I just may so be mistaken. It is. Most of them are going to, uh, like fashion high school because, um, 
I feel like this happens to some, like, there's, like, an idea of magnet schools, at least in Chicago. I don't know mm-hmm. if this is a broader thing. Um, I'm loosely familiar with the concept, but we didn't really have them growing up. Yeah, and I feel like most places, like, in the U.S. don't have this. But it's pretty common in a lot of areas in Japan, especially, like, you know, more urban areas. But you will have, like, high schools that are specialized around something. Where, like, if you were hoping to get into a arts college... Here's the art school, high school that you go to. Yeah. In, in in Lawrence, for example, there was the high schools, and then, like, as a sophomore or junior, you could enroll, and there was an engineering high school where you would, like, go to English and and whatever else from, like, 7 to noon... And then from, like, noon to four every day, you would get on a bus and go over to the engineering high school where you were just working on, like, engineering professional type things. Um, this is just a... I mean, there was nothing at all like this in the super small rural town yeah. that I grew up in. And then we moved to, like, the more suburban one. And the option there was that there was the normal high school for everyone to go to. And then there was the option of if you're not doing very good at normal high school because there was still a lot of rural stuff around, then there was the one that was like, basically, we are gearing you towards you are going to go into like being an electrician or a mechanic or something. I think Lee Summit also had this where like you could go if vocational school. Yes. Yes. There was like a school that you could go to that was like specifically for like HVAC electricians or firefighters i want to say like those were the three sort of options that you got um or also there was just military recruiters (laughs) everywhere but yeah so the 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 main girl is this like in in paradise kiss um she is going to like a cram school and stuff trying to get an entry test but um this is another like very common yeah um Japan thing, and then also, like, the the one character in uh, Rebels of the Neon God is going to one, too. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, to try and get into, like, a university, because basically it's just been set forward of, like, oh, you just need to get good grades and then go to a good university. And she doesn't, like, really know what she wants to do with her life. Um, and then meets all of these weird kids where, you know... George is bi and Isabella is trans and um, uh, Miwako is just, I don't know, says her name all the time instead of I, which is a thing that's more common in Japanese, but slightly weird how they translate it. Um, um, Arashi's punk. But so it's just like, oh, here's like a bunch of like weirdos, basically, uh, who are going to this fashion school. But then is like, oh, you actually have to work hard at this, too. And they're like passionate about this. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe like I need to be passionate about something, even if it's not me getting good grades. Anyway, oh, I love Silver Spoon. Yeah, I, there's a, it's a little bit Silver Spoon, but I'm enjoying it more because uh it's a Jose manga about romance and the drawings are like attractive. <laughs> I, I will not, I will not brook Arakawa slander on this podcast. I have only read like one volume of silver spoon. I quite liked it, but, uh, yeah, but you don't, you don't get like splash pages in the way that you do in oh, like a drawn for girls. Yeah. Like Arakawa, 
uh, Arakawa as an artist, she's like very different from what Yuzawa is doing. But yeah, um, it's like here's a here's a big two page spread of like the view from atop a horse, which is just very different than like here's a a big like drawing of a kiss with like all the ornamentation of the emotions you feel. I appreciate Arakawa in Fullmetal Alchemist for the ways in which she is is working in a very conventional like shonen style um but like i don't know she has has her own like flair to it it's just more i don't know it's just got something that like a lot of shonen doesn't and then like turning that into turning that onto much more normal shit yeah. <laughs> in silver spoon is so much fun i think yeah. Um, I mean, I was enjoying Silver Spoon too, but yeah. I finished the first volume and then dove head first into yeah. Paracus because I, you know, Yuzawa Eye and I'm just fully yeah. Nana Brain still. Yeah. Go listen to the Nana cast that I did with M. I, <laughs> I saw on your desk that you had the first volume of Witch Had Atelier and my heart was just like, real shit? Real shit? <laughs> yeah, I did go to the library and I got uh, that and. If you want uh, the first five spread. volumes, I'll just loan them to you. Yeah, I was kind of figuring I would, like, steal them from you, but also they just had the first volume there, so I was like, yeah. well, I'll grab it. Um, anyway. We're so far. Actual here. actual thoughts about the the two MCU movies that I half-watched. Uh, Iron Man, I watched it and I was like, oh, remember when they used to just, like, make blockbuster superhero movies that were yeah. kind of mid? Yeah. and it wasn't like part of an apparatus of like they set up some sequels but the machine wasn't on yet they hadn't built the machine yeah it was like you know the sam raimi spider-man are better than iron man by far by far but this is still just in that same uh, Mm -hmm. mold of like oh yeah they're gonna make two more of these yeah and then it'll be done Right? That's what, It'll be done, right? That's that's the that's the thing is that when Iron Man came out, I was like, "Oh, they'll make this is going to be like Spider-Man or the X-Men movies where they're going to make a couple more Iron Man movies." And I was like, "Oh, maybe they're going to make like a Thor or a Captain America spin-off." Yeah. And then I was like, "Oh, I guess they're going to bring them all together and then it's going to be over." Yeah, cuz the the post-credit scene is um, Nick Fury showing up and being like, "Yeah, you know, you're not the first one to do this. We need you for the Avengers or whatever." So it's like set up of like like the what's now called Phase One. Yeah, you can kind of see in this, but at that point, it just felt so much more reasonable because it's just like, oh, they're gonna do a few of these Iron Man. They'll probably do like, you know, Captain America, Thor, whatever, and then we'll get a big Avengers movie, and then like, and then it'll be over. It'll be over, or if this like works, maybe they'll just do it again. Rather yeah. than they'll keep it going. Yeah. Right? That's the thing is that it just never ended. Even the movie that said end in the name. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I assume that is an ending. But yeah. I don't know. There's just this... Like, watching this just gave me this feeling of, like... Almost... I still probably would not be that big on the MCU and, like, the way that they're approaching stuff. But I feel like it would... Uh, great on me less if they just like phase two is just this is a whole new story but it all mm. being continuous to some degree makes it so much worse yeah so the incredible hulk can i talk about this for a second yeah so this is the one that you saw 
a like, bit of. Yeah, because we finished Sonatine and we were thinking about watching Hanabi and we were both very sleepy. Yeah. So and then Emily was like, I'm going to put on The Incredible Hulk and then she couldn't finish it. She watched an hour of it and quit. I was like, I saw Incredible Hulk when it came out. This is, to be clear, the MCU, mm-hmm. the Edward Norton, I don't even know if it's MCU anymore, but the Edward Norton Hulk movie, not the Ang Lee yeah, Hulk movie, Because we had different. to go to HBO to watch this one, because uh, Disney's apparently disowned it. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, I was like, I've seen this movie, I'm going to read this Batman comic, and I'll just glance up at the screen every now and then, and I'll be able to follow this, because I've seen this before. And I was so frustrated because no one fucking talks in that movie. Yeah. And not in like Sonatide, no one fucking speaks to each other in that movie. Complimentary. This movie, it was like, we are watching a blockbuster action movie that is like going head to head with the Dark Knight. I don't know what's happening in the movie. <laughs> yeah. Because every time I would look up, it was either an action scene or someone typing an email to someone else. And I would love if speak people spoke to each other in the movie. They got all these actors, presumably to say lines, but they were never doing it. And I was very frustrated. <laughs> I wasn't. Wa- I didn't sign up to watch Sonatine. I wa- signed up to watch a movie where Bruce Banner is like, I'm very sad, but sometimes I get angry. And that wasn't happening. Yeah. Or sometimes it was happening. But there was just, like, CIA guys shooting at him, and I was like, why are they here? I was Uh, so confused. Yeah, I was able to follow so much more of what was happening in Iron Man, even if I wasn't watching it close enough to, like, see stairs when they happened. Mm -hmm. But I was still able to follow it while I read, and I was just, like, trying to read Paradise Kiss, and that was happening, and I was just like, there's just explosion sounds sometimes. That's, like, what's happening. It's just quiet, (laughs) boom. Quiet, 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 boom. Tap, 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 tap. Tap, 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 tap. <laughs> There's a siren noise, and I don't know if it's outside because we have the windows open or if that's the movie. <laughs> um, it's a very frustrating movie to not watch. Yeah. But it did help solidify in my brain when I went to, to rate it, the difference. Because I do half stars, which I you know not everyone on Letterboxd does. Uh-huh. The difference between a half star and one star to me, mm-hmm. which is that a half star is like... Oh, I hate this movie. Mm-hmm. A one star is like that was just a bad movie that I'm instantly going to forget. Yeah, that was the thing was that like, so I was gonna go put this on my letterbox, and I was thinking like two stars because I'm like, well, it's not actively horrible, right? Like, I can't mm. think of anything that like, for lack of a better word, not like offensive as in problematic, but as an offensive as in like bad. You know, like I couldn't think mm. of anything that was like capital B bad about it. So I was like, I'm going to give this two stars. And then I looked and discovered that at some other point in my life, I had rated it one star and I was like, well, I don't like it enough to bump it up. Yeah. <laughs> that was um, what I feel like about the incredible Hulk, Cause I didn't like it enough to bump it up to two stars. Um, anyway, I do think I vaguely remember looking up at the screen for incredible Hulk once and seeing a fight on stairs or something, but I don't question I, marks. Question marks. Didn't, we didn't even finish this one. We didn't even finish it. I would not have rated it on Letterboxd had I not seen it before and was just affirming, yep, watched again. Mm-hmm. Um, you know what movie is the greatest movie ever made? 
What's that? Sony Tina. This is so true. Okay. Can I? <laughs> Hi, everybody. We're in our main discussion segment. That was all export. <laughs> <laughs> now we're doing stairwells. <laughs> <laughs> that was some extremely export. I was talking about <laughs> three movies, two that we barely watched. <laughs> <laughs> um, can I share with you the thesis about Sonatine that I arrived at while watching it? This is okay. sort of like metatextual. I think you have a reading of the film that's about like what the movie's actually about. I have a sort of like like zoomed out view of like what Sonatine is about a little bit. Okay. Um, there is an old phrase that I believe is from Jean-Luc Godard that like films are 24 lies a second. Um, that my friend Crystal and I have sort of distilled down to, because I feel like I said this, and Crystal also said this, and I don't know if it's a parallel thing or if I was just high and said it on locked, and then she said it on main. Anyway, hi, Crystal. I know you're listening to this. You will tell me the origins of this. Maybe you just had this thought, and then I was like, that's a thing that I've thought. I don't know. Anyway, it doesn't matter. 24 lies a second. Um, in, in, in sort of Crystal's, like figuration of the phrase is like movies are about guys just standing around to be standing around pretending to be other guys you know like movies are about actors on sets pretending a thing is happening when it is not (laughs) yeah yakuza movies this is the thing that sonatine made me realize is that is true that guys are standing around pretending to be other guys yeah. And the, the guys they are pretending to be are also pretending to be something. None of the guys in Sonatine are tough. None of them are like cool or 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 they're dangerous, but not in like a sexy way. Yeah. None of them are like the sort of like cultural image of the of the Yakuza as this like cool badass guy who like smokes a cigarette and like mournfully goes and ices a dude and like you know shakes a dude down for money these are just guys who like work at a job yeah <laughs> and this is something i stole from you like these are guys who work at a job and their job is to go project that image at other people and then those other people will be like well i don't want him to like tie me to a crane and then lower me into the fucking lake i guess i'll give him his money but like none of these guys are actually all that tough or cool they just need other people to perceive them that way yeah and so i just was watching sonatine because also sonatine is is an extreme like films are just images placed in sequence and the juxtaposition of those images creates meaning one of one of the most like this is a thing that um I think a lot of filmmakers like to do, which is that like the, the verb that we use for like recording footage is shooting. Yes. Um, and this is a movie that does it to the extreme where literally every time that a, a trigger is pulled with like an intent to actually cause violence, there's mm-hmm. a couple instances where this is broken, but it's specifically in, in moments of play. Mm-hmm. But when it is like with the intent to like, hurt or kill someone anytime a trigger on a gun is pulled it is either like going away from the viewer as if like you have pulled the trigger and it's like flying out from where you are 
or going straight at the camera. Yes. Everyone is either shooting like directly away from the camera in the direction that the camera is looking or is pointing the gun at the camera and firing to the camera. Yes. And at the end when the girl pulls the trigger on the like AK or whatever Mm -hmm. and it's flashing and then you get it, it's literally flashing or no, it's at the very end when he's doing it and he's shooting everyone else up and it's in the dark room and it's flashing light and it's like, this is the light of the camera, like the projector (laughs) that is projecting on the screen that you're looking at. Right, (laughs) right. The the light is flashing from, through like from the camera at you, (laughs) the viewer. And like... Well, and, like, there's so much of Sonatine that is just, like, characters are not talking about how they're feeling. Mm -hmm. Instead, you sort of infer emotional states from, like, it cuts to just a random image of these guys playing around on the beach to, like, violence happening. And you're just sort of supposed to infer a mind state from, like those two images happening one after the other. You know, the the Kuleshov effect. Yeah. yeah. Film studies over here. Um, and so it's like Sonatine like really understands that like film is a construct. Um and I think then is able to turn film as a construct onto Yakuza are a construct, onto all jobs are just constructs, into Life is meaningless. <laughs> um, do you want me to do some of my stuff about yes, what I think please. of this movie and why it's my favorite movie ever made? So I'm going to start with... Um, so a lot of Kitano's movies were not well-received in Japan. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, like I think that a lot of versions of Sonatine do just have English because English audiences at this point, he was aware were, like, more actively engaged in, in some of his film stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think some of it is coming from, like, this fundamental critique that's coming from a lot of people who are engaged with... I've talked on previous episodes about this idea of, like... Yeah, because cinema is fundamentally a thing that is looking at, like, the hierarchies of fascism and these sorts of, like, fascistic impulses in society. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm going to read a little bit from, uh, this is from uh, Tsutomi Tamura, who was uh, like a central figure in one of the main like alternative political cinema movements um, in the 1960s. And this is like one of the most um, poignant and like directed critiques of, of Sonatine in Japan. Um, let me see if I can find the this um so he argued this is from a, an article that's like summarizing it that was written by um uh aaron garo and the name of it it's just from a book about kitano i think um so he says uh this is or his summary here um so he argued that sonatine was no different from what he called a student film too centered on its author based on an uneven mix of the scripted and the improvised depending too heavily on in-group interpretation and lacking a unified style. Uh, There is much that he praised about the film, particularly the temporality and the rough but still effective use of ellipses. So this is, like, one of the things I love about this film, too, is the way that, like, all space and time is disjointed. Mm -hmm. Um, Early on, the first scene is, like, them coming into this uh, room, and it's kind of confusing, like, what room uh, Kitano's character Murakawa is in. 
while he's talking to this other guy compared to where his like lackey is who's like watching yeah. a, a game of mahjong or whatever um i like, thought they were in like i thought they were cutting di- between different scenes for a second and then i was like no this is all the same scene just like shot in a way that i couldn't see the sort of connective yeah. tissue of the space and then it's revealed kind of at the end and other things won't always even reveal this but that like he was in like a little office and is um, like Kitano's character was in this little office and his like lackey was standing outside watching a game that was uh-huh. happening, but it's, it's cut in a way where it seems like he's watching the conversation that's happening. Right. The lackey is and not the Mahjong game. But anyway, um, so in particular the temporality and the rough, but still effective use of ellipses. Uh, but he essentially faulted Sonatine for being inconsistent in its attack on dominant cinema. He found this most evident in the ending. If Gitano was truly offering a vision of smiling nihilism, he would have concluded the film not with an attack on Katagiri in the hotel and Murakawa committing suicide afterwards, but rather with a more ironic twist, with Ryoji, for instance, being unable to turn off the hotel lights and the two having to return to the beach to wait some more. Uh, This concludes by avoiding the nationalist ideologies implicated in suicide. So... In Japan, in particular, like suicide has nationalist connotations because of the like mm-hmm. practice of, of you know like seppuku. Mm-hmm. Um, oh. So anyway, um, saying it would be more nihilistic to like avoid that stuff. Um, the current ending, Tamara argued, owes too much to Yakuza genre conventions of betrayal and revenge, and engages in overt narcissism, giving only the filmmaker's character the choice of his own death. Uh, so everyone else like does not get the choice and only the filmmaker own character gets to, um, with the beautiful Miyuki, who's the, the girl who I don't even know if she gets named. Yeah. I don't remember her name. That might just be the actress's name. I'm not sure. Um, waiting to boot. He concludes, I don't think there's anything that is expressed in this film that goes beyond just simply overturning, con- uh, commercial film conventions, uh, slightly overturning. Um, so this is one of the things that, like, as someone who who cares a lot about Yakuza cinema, why this is one of my favorite movies is because I have a, a different read on what's happening here. And it is specifically, um, one, I, I think there's, like, two things that are happening here. One, I think Kitano is working through his suicidal issues. Mm-hmm. Um, after this movie is made, he is going to get into a car crash that he will talk about as a failed suicide attempt, Mm. um, that like was an accident, but that he like thinks of as like that accident happened because I wanted to die. Mm -hmm. Um, and I survived it and we didn't watch Hanabi, but we were going to, and that's the movie that he made like after the crash. Mm -hmm. Um, this is one of the reasons why like both of those are interesting. Like Sonatine is one of the most, um, like for my own feelings of suicidality, one of the most like honest depictions of some of that stuff, which is like, it kind of just permeates the way that you like, yeah, don't care about yourself. Yeah. Um, and the way that you are like at once extremely afraid of dying and uh, also like completely careless and, and Mm. like, would just let it happen. Mm Um, so that's part of it is like, there's that aspect, but then there's also how it's engaging with the genre and I see a lot of what he's doing as actually riffing off of stuff that happens with Tokyo Drifter, which is I'm literally just doing the plot points uh-huh. of the Yakuza movie. Uh, everything is playing out the way that it would in the standard Yakuza yeah. movie. I, I, this is the second time I've seen it. I absolutely cannot follow the like 
Yakuza plot of this yeah. at all. I don't understand who is the guy that he beats up in the bathroom and why. how does that guy betray them. It doesn't matter. But you also, even though you don't understand the actual specifics of the politics, yes. you understand the, like, especially at a certain point of watching Yakuza movies, you understand the tropes of happening. Yes. Of, like, okay, they're rivals. There's going to be, like, a big face-off at the end between them. Yes. Um... There's going to be a part where he goes to a final confrontation and in like the full Ninkyo, he would like, you know, sing his song as he's going to the fight. But like it literally ends in the the final fight where you kill everyone. But also so much of it has been simplified where like, yeah, Tokyo Drifter wants to blow that up into let's just make a really, really uh, aesthetically like exciting and pleasing ending where space and time doesn't really make sense in that sequence. Right. But it's just going to be really aesthetically interesting. To, like, it's just fun to watch. Yes. It's yes. fun to look at. Yes. Yes. Um, and I'm using the trips to just to create something that is like, you know, avoiding all interpretation. It is like purely just this aesthetic sp- experience that you're coming in uh-huh. or coming at. Um, so Natina is doing this other thing, which yes. is a lot of that stuff gets condensed it down intensely mm-hmm. um which is also something that like uh seijin suzuki did mm-hmm. for parts that he didn't care about with that script yeah um but here it's like okay the final fight is just going to be condensed down to here's the here's the like director insert character pulling the trigger flashing like a camera and everyone dies mm-hmm. um and that's like what i'm going to condense down what would normally be like an intense action scene in set yeah. piece at the end of your movie he's gonna stand stock still and just yeah. spray um because what i think it is is interesting and this is like what you brought up and one of my key ideas of it which is this is emphasizing the this other thing that i've brought up a lot of like part of the the uh reading of yakuza movies as this like fascistic impulse is that it is a movie about how you hate your job and you want to kill your boss and you watch a movie where a bad guy does it, but you're not a bad guy, so you would never kill your boss, and you get to like release that steam. Mm-hmm. This is the movie that is specifically being like watching Yakuza movies is about watching how much it sucks to have a job. Yes, and there's still all the catharsis of like he kills the boss, except not really. You don't get the same satisfaction from a lot of it because so much of it is simplified down. And what it's trying to reveal is one, it's like elongating so much of just the work right a thing that we were joking about was like that basically it's like oh i have to do i have to travel for work yeah so so (laughs) um so i have not read fate stay night but um our friends over at immoral mapping um covered it recently m and kim did an episode and one of the things that they found so interesting about fate stay night was the ways in which like all this epic high fantasy like stuff time travel and you know all this sort of stuff is happening um but fate stand always holds in its head that people need to eat every day you know like you can do all this like high stakes adventuring like fantasy stuff but there are also like people eat three meals a day and that is depicted that is like part of life not only for like these people but for everyone yeah. you know and i i think sonatine does a similar thing where like whereas a more stylish like a battles without sort of thing might depict 
Um, the boss has asked us all to go to Okinawa. And the last time, like, we went on a trip like this to Hokkaido, like, three of us died. And so in, in Battles Without, you might get this very somber sequence of, like, these men, like, sadly accepting that their duty is to go to Okinawa like the boss wanted. Yeah. This and then movie. you'll cut to the scene of them in yes. Okinawa, and they're all, like, fully established in the place, lounging yes. around, and are, like, about to go do the thing. Yes. And this movie is, like, well, how do you get to Okinawa? You get on a bus, and you all kind of, like, stare at the window, and you don't talk to each other, because you're not friends, you're co-workers. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And no one really wants to be here, and it's humid, and... Like, like you know, your your subordinate, subordinate, subordinate in Okinawa is like, I brought everybody some sea salt ice cream and beer. It's in the cooler in the back of the bus. <laughs> and then you get to the office and somebody has to be like, the bathroom's over there. And, you know, like in, in the Battles Without movie is the two rival Yakuza are like negotiating. Someone has to like, they're sipping their tea. Someone had to make that tea. Yeah. And like. You know, none of you have been at this office very long. So when someone says, can someone go make tea? Like six guys all go get up to make the tea. Yeah. (laughs) No one actually knows which drawer the tea is in. Yeah. Because, like, this is even like a spare office that they're like using again because people came to visit. Yes. (laughs) Like, Um. yeah, like all of that is like, as much a part of, like, life, you know, like, life is probably more about, like, all the moments in between the stuff happening yeah. as it is the stuff happening. Um, And so I think what, like, for me, the final message of the movie is, which is the stuff goes bad and then they have to go hide out in this little house on the beach mm-hmm. and then stuff will continue to go bad once they're there. But there's this period where they're there before the rival gang has figured out that they are there and sends an hit, a hitman to kill people. Uh-huh. And then everything breaks bad. Where they are just hanging out on a beach. And this is where you start getting more of the expression of the homoeroticism that comes up in Yakuza movies between um, Ken and Ryoji, mm-hmm. I think are the, the names of the two. I think so. Um, where they're hanging out all the time. You know, it started early on where one of them's like, hey, do you know my friend who's like in Tokyo? And like, not really. And like, oh, do you want to smoke some weed? And like, no, I just like uppers. And it's just like the kind of awkward work mm-hmm. friendship you have. And then they're hanging out on the beach and they're like, well, we're just like playing all the time. We're like having fun doing sumo wrestling where I'm kind of humping you. There's like, um, we're on a fucking beach. We don't have books. We don't have video games. I guess let's go sumo wrestle. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, and like here's just this toy of like a, a wrestler and I'm going to like put him in your lap and be like, fuck me or whatever. You know, it's like <laughs> yeah. a joke. Ha ha. <laughs> and then like, give you a little kiss through the toy. But like, I think, so one of the things too, is a lot of what they're doing on it are f- intentional, like very intentionally forms of play uh-huh. and also performance. And like the idea of like performance, this like style of performance that is like play and is joyous. So they're like doing the dance that they saw performed because you're like visiting. We're going to have people come do the like, you know, big Okinawan dance um, so that you can be entertained while you're visiting. But now they're just putting it on for fun. They're just yeah. playing at it. They're pretending to be sumo wrestlers, which is another form of like 
Like, literally, Sumo has, like, a circle that demarcates the space. Uh-huh. Uh, and so it's like, that circle becomes, like, what the beach is, which is demar- demarcating yeah. the space where they don't have to work. They can just play. Yeah. And, like, you see the beach, and you see the road that leads to the beach, but you don't see the road that leads to that road, ever. Yeah. You just see that road, and then Okinawa. But, mm-hmm. like... That is like a dirt road. Presumably that dirt road turns into pavement at some point. Like someone had to turn left somewhere. That is not depicted. Like there, the beach is a like special place that is like separate until there's the interloper who comes and kills yeah. people, you know? Um, yeah. And so like everything that they're doing in there is this form of play. And that's also where they are like able to express affection to each other. It's where people are laughing and smiling um, the one other time that you see, like, Kitano's character laugh is when, uh, the, like, rivals, like, I would feel safe pissing again, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, like, you know, what happened if I died or something? The other guy. Right? Yeah. It's, like, specifically laughing at the idea of him being dead, I think. Yeah. Like, himself being dead. Yeah. Um, and then all the rest is in this, like, weird demarcated space. And so I think, like, for me... It is intentionally not overturning the, like, here is the conventional um, narrative that exists in Yakuza movies that would, like, uphold these fascistic ideas. Because what it is interested in is when you are existing in a, like, fascistic state, sometimes all you can hope for is to find the liminal spaces where you can exist outside of that, even if it's for a moment. Mm. And I think the final thing, and this is what ties it in with all the, like, death and suicidality stuff happening in here is also the fear that when you live in that space, perhaps the only time that you can escape is you have no hope of, of overturning the structures of this. Like the, by going and killing everybody, mm-hmm. he is just continuing to like reenact the fascistic thing. Yes. You can't kill your way out of it. Yes. Like the, the, the fascistic state is larger than like the people that you could kill. Yeah. Um, and so, then there is that fear that the really the only true final like liminal space that you can escape to is death. Yeah. Um, and the, the beach specifically being like, nobody ever goes in the water either. Mm-hmm. Like the beach also is a liminal space between land and sea. Right. And nobody goes into the water. Mm. Um, so like all of this just ties into the, like, for me, this is what this film is about is yeah. like living in this like oppressive state where you just like work and everything. And this like fear that the only escape that you're going to have, like you have these little tiny moments in life and maybe you can hold on to them, but maybe the only true escape is to die. And like the, the, the one guy, the, oh, maybe I'll be, I won't be scared to piss anymore or whatever. Yeah. Um, that guy is like offering Kitano's character at some point, like, you know, <clears throat> there's this big meeting, you could go and just, like, do this, and then you could take over this family, and Kitano, like, doesn't want any part of it, because he's like, I would just be back to the life that I find so meaningless. Yeah. You know? And, and I think that, like, like, it is a movie that so perfectly understands how, like, I, I joke about this a lot, but, like, I go to work every day, right? And the espresso machine is dirty. Yeah. And so I have to clean the espresso machine. 
And every every night I leave and then I come back the next day and the espresso machine is dirty again. And I am Sisyphus pushing my fucking stupid little boulder of cleaning the espresso machine up the hill, even though yeah. I know that the espresso machine is going to get dirty again. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> and, like, <laughs> that... That sometimes I will joke about at work because I'll be like, man, life is so pointless because the espresso <laughs> machine is going to be dirty again tomorrow. I, I usually don't say it in such a dark way at work, you know. Yeah. Um, And I very rarely make these jokes. But, you know, it's like a thing that is in my head like, man, life is so pointless because tomorrow I will need to sweep again. And I will need yeah. to do all these things again. Um, But the 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 sort of like thing that I have arrived at in my life is like that the espresso machine being clean is not the thing that gives my life meaning. It is all I go to, to, to clean the espresso machine so that after work I can do things that are meaningful to me, like making podcasts and, and like spending time with Nora and all these sorts of things. Yeah. Um, and, and work is just a means to that end. But there have been other times in my life where work or school or whatever it is, whatever boulder I'm pushing up the hill this year is, like, I don't see, like, meaning in my life outside of work. And when work is just like, I do this, and the next day I have to do it again, you're like, damn, I really want to die. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, like, I'm in a different place in my life now, but I I really appreciate Sonatine for, like, being able to so perfectly express this, like, if you're in that space where it is so hard to find these moments of play and find these other things that like give life meaning, yeah, you might just go and shoot yeah. up your boss and then be like, well, that was pointless. Yeah. Um, and the other thing is like, cause one of the other things I like about this <clears throat> is that there, there's a lot of the stuff that feels like dark to me. But the movie overall doesn't feel, like, oppressively dark to me. No, it's a very funny and, movie. Yeah, one is that it's very funny. And the other one is that I think there are, like, moments of hope in it. Mm -hmm. Which is... um, And some of this just, like, comes in in various ways. So one is the... I think this also ties into the fisherman's the assassin who, like, intrudes into the play space. Mm -hmm. And um, shoots Ken because Ken is part of the, like, Murakawa's gang. But doesn't shoot Roji because... Ryoji's part of the the gang that is um in Okinawa oh, okay. that they're like trying to take over. And I think doesn't see Murakawa mm -hmm. um Takashi's character mm -hmm. because he is behind that boat mm -hmm. with the girl. Mm -hmm. So he survives in that moment. When he goes to shoot everyone up, he like is saying to Roji, like after this, like you're going clean mm. like you're you're leaving this life mm -hmm. you are still young enough that you might be able to get out get out now mm -hmm. like there's other spaces that are potentially outside of this try to find something else mm -hmm. like you have the the potential to do that so one is the, like there is that suggestion of the potential mm -hmm. there's also the girl who is waiting for him and she's the one who's like oh it's so cool like i forget exactly the wording but like you know, it's really great to be able to, like, not be afraid of pulling a, a gun, like mm. pulling the trigger on a gun. And he's like, oh, the reason why I, like, can pull the trigger really well is because I'm actually really scared all the time. Yeah. Uh, I'm, like, fundamentally a scared, frightened person. And so I can just, like, quickly. 
I will pull the trigger first before someone else because I'm more afraid. Right. Um, and then later there's like the, the rain scene and they run and then she's like, I'm going to take off my shirt. And he's just like, it's great that you're not afraid to show your tits. <laughs> and it's a funny joke because it's a great callback yeah. to like what happened earlier. But also I think there's a fundamental truth of like, no, you don't realize that it like is far better and cooler to not be afraid to show your tits than to not be afraid to pull the trigger on a yeah. gun. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and like her specifically being in that space, like even after they're gone, she still falls into the, the hole trap, mm-hmm. the like little sand traps that he built, which is another great, it's my favorite callback yeah. so fucking joke in all of cinematic history. <laughs> um, and then she's waiting for him and he never comes. And so there's also a certain amount of like, she like, is this person who's looking to like how cool this life is and maybe she will be able to like break free now that she's not in this orbit anymore. Um, and then the final one is the post credit scene, which if people watch this movie and didn't stick around, there is a post credit scene. Um, Nick Fury, Nick Fury. <laughs> uh, talks to the ghost of V. Takeshi and says, <laughs> no, um, it's specifically the, the boat on the beach that like protected him in that moment is just fully like, this is like possibly many, 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 many years because the boat is just like destroyed. It's just mm-hmm. dilapidated. Time has happened to this boat mm-hmm. and there are flowers blooming. Final Fantasy seven. <laughs> <laughs> and this is, I took a class on Yakuza cinema. This scene was like, we watched it and there, the week that we watched it, there was a visiting professor um, from Japan. And then there was my professor who was teaching the class. They got into a debate that lasted most of the class about the final post-credit scene because this is just like hotly contested. I I had a moment where I was on this second viewing. I was like, "Do I have a reading on this scene?" And then I was like, "No, I think it's just a nice image." I think I think but, readings exist. I yeah. I think like there are ways to interpret that image, but I just had a moment where I was like. I just want that to be a nice image. I don't want to think about it. So for me, my interpretation of it, the way that I read it is this beach was this space, this like liminal space that allowed for this like other mode of being that was not this like I am at work and work is like the grueling shitty work of being a Yakuza. Um, It is specifically work that is like upholding fascist systems as well this was like this liminal space that allowed some sort of like glimpse of freedom out of that. And Uh that with time, we won't need the protect protection of the boat anymore. And just like good things can just happen to that space. Mm -hmm. Um, but that that's like going to be, I think I, I think that's going to be like beyond us necessarily. I think I also, I think there is a juxtaposition between urban spaces and rural spaces in this movie. Of like, you go to the urban space and that represents your job and, and all the things that you hate. And you go to the rural space and that represents freedom and playfulness and all these sorts of things. And the fisherman is the sort of intrusion. But I don't know how to make that. I think there's a lot going on in this movie. And I, I don't know how to like sort of make that more interesting or complicated than like a sort of only yesterday city bad farm good you know yeah. like i don't know how i think maybe i'm like hitting on something but i i don't have a full like 
I don't I it's not fully developed in my mind. You know? Yeah. And I don't want to boil this movie down to Pastoralism. Yeah. Yeah. Because I, I don't think that's what Kitano was doing. Yeah. Well, I think also this image is so different than, especially like within Japan, the like form of pastoralism that exists in only yesterday. And that can also feed into like similar fascistic structures, which is like the images of the farm of like the labor of the farm, which is, is one that is like slightly complex because there's also like communist history with that too Mm -hmm. but this specifically being like a beach and not a place for the production of anything i think is important yeah um because it it's not just this is a rural space it's not going to a farm yeah it's not it's not a farm it's a beach you know like nothing is made here this is the anime beach episode of yakuza movies and it's It's fucking fantastic it's so good Um, we didn't talk about my favorite bit, which is, um, so, so in one scene, they have this sort of like, sort of like rudimentary, like rock'em sock'em robots thing where they have two little paper sumo figures and they have them on the little stand and then you can like press a little tab. Yeah. That I think this is just like a, cause it's like a thing that you can build out of paper. I just feel like it's, I feel like I've seen this elsewhere too. Yeah. And it's probably just like a Japanese thing similar to like you're in school and you do like the football oh, yeah. between the fingers. Yeah, I think this is absolutely like probably a very old thing that people have done. But it, like if you're not if you haven't seen the movie, it's kind of like Rock and Soap yeah. Sock'em Robots or Hungry Hungry Hippos where they like press the little tabs on the paper and the sumo wrestlers like yeah, sort of bounce and whoever falls over yeah. loses. It just makes the like circle. Yeah. Go. Yeah, and it's whoever f- falls over first or gets pushed out would be the other option. Yeah. Um anyway, one of my favorite bits in any movie ever is they show that and then they show a sumo wrestling scene. Yeah. And then they show in the sumo wrestling circle the two guys stand like very stock still and everybody else sits outside the circle and starts patting on the ground. Yeah. And every time they pat, the guys have to, like, jump and hop around. It is very cute. And are just, like, spinning all around. (laughs) Yeah. And they, like, speed up the film, too, to, like, make it. There's a couple moments where they, like, speed up the film in very funny ways. In very, like... Like, Simpsons jokes can have, like, super tight timing in a way that you can get away with in animation that you, like, can't always in live action. And in some ways, like, the sped-up film in this reminds me... Of how tight the timing on, like, a- animated Simpsons jokes can be. Yeah. You know? Because, like... You, we you we don't want to take forever of them doing the whole, like, routine of, like, doing this. The, doing the, the damn Macarena. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> doing whatever, like, advanced, extended... Secret like, handshake yeah. doing thing they're doing. Yeah. Um... And so they just speed it up to, like, make the joke of it land that they're doing it in sequence without having to spend forever on it. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, the comedic timing on this is great, which one of the other things that, and I think this is true of a lot of Kitano's movies, but, like, um, I also think it's interesting that the violence, like, almost has a punchline quality to it sometimes. Yes, yes. Um, I, I, this is something that I associate a lot with Cohen movies, honestly, the way the particular brand of dark humor 
that Sonatine has, I think has a lot in common with the sorts of dark humor that Cohen movies do. Yeah. I think those are just like, like sort of like parallel threads that run through Kitano movies and run through this movie. Because like, I could just as easily imagine the Cohen movie where like guys play baseball and then later they meet a, a John Goodman evil gangster guy. You know, yeah. this is this is calling back to um the three four in October Boiling or whatever yeah. Boiling Point. That's the English title. It's much easier to say. <laughs> much easier, but far less evocative of what happens in the movie. Yeah. <laughs> um. um I'm just double checking that it was boiling point. But... It's boiling point, yeah. Because um, there's, yeah, we were gonna yeah. watch Violent Cop at one point, but never got around yes. to it. That's the other very generic title. Yeah. Um, but and so I also think a lot of this read that I have ties in with what the title even is, which is like small sonata. Oh re- yeah, I think like you told me like that this, last like, year little, we watched yeah. this, but I didn't know. Like this little moment, this like little musical thing that yeah. just was like is allowed to exist. Um, but yeah, I don't like, I like when the, the movie that is contending with like the fascism of Yakuza movies kind of just is like, yeah, it's, it kind of just sucks to exist in this and like there are spaces to get out of it. But some of it is like, we have to even find the spots where we can imagine other ways of being first we don't always even really have that yet. Yeah. Um, especially for like many people who are really in the system. Um, they just need to be able to like see something else. And sadly, some of it, some of the change might not happen until these people just die out. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a, it's a real like life is meaningless sort of movie, but um, yeah, but in there's like, a weirdly uplifting way. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I don't remember. There are a few stairs, but I don't, none of them feel that strong. No, I would say like a C at the absolute best. And I don't know that it hits a C level. There's, let's say D plus. Yeah. And that plus might just be because it's one of the best movies. That might not be on any (laughs) merits of the film. M asks... Disney's ghoulish dead celeb tech is now the standard. I'm reading this in an awkward way because I haven't read these emails yet, and so I don't have a good sense of like the pacing of the sentences. Also, they own all culture. <clears throat> They're remaking one of your favorite movies with a dead actor, but not the one who originally starred in the film. What's the idea you think would be good if the whole ep- enterprise wasn't evil and joy-destroying? So... Orson Welles is starring in. <laughs> no, 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 no. What's his name? What's his name? What's his name? Harry Dean Stanton is starring in. Mm, where am I going with this? I don't know. I I had to start with what's one of my favorite movies that would have like a dead actor that I would need to replace. And I guess I have to do E hero here. Yeah, I've got I've got an idea. I don't actually know if Paul Newman's dead, but I do have a movie in my mind now. Um I'm trying to think of like cuz I love uh Shimura Takeshi so much and I'm trying to think of like what other dead actor I would get 
Um, Paul Newman has been dead for 12 years. Um, so I, I'm having an idea for like a Cool Hand Luke remake, but I don't know who you put in there. Yeah. The thing is, so I'm, I'm still thinking about Ikiru here. Uh-huh. I feel like we just have to do our own ones because I haven't seen Cool Hand Luke and you haven't seen Ikiru. Yeah. So um, we're not going to be of any help to each other. You brought up Orson Welles and I would love to see Orson Welles, but I just think he is like, he is too like immediately magnetic and charming and smarmy to like, like part of the strength of uh, Shimura Takeshi is that he can just like, you could put he, him in any movie. He, yeah, he can kind of just like shrink into whatever role he needs to be. Yeah, whereas like you kind of need to write a movie around Orson Welles. Yeah. Um I'm trying to th- I'm just like who I mean the other option is I like get like I think Orson Welles could easily replace Mifune in something. Orson Welles in Throne of Blood. <laughs> They're going to fire those arrows at Orson Welles, and he is not in shape to be dodging them. The thing is, that's the more appropriate movie to put him in, Uh but I kind of just want the Orson Welles go Jimbo. (laughs) Like, if I'm I'm doing this, like, Orson Welles... You know, I think I'm going at this wrong. I think I was thinking, who could I put in Cool Hand Luke? I think I need to come at this from, what movie am I putting Paul Newman in? You know? Yeah. And the answer is Inside Lewin Davis. (laughs) (laughs) um i'm still trying to think of like somebody who could replace in ikiru i don't know if i'm gonna be able to get this i don't know if i had an idea that's awful what this doesn't make any sense we're gonna sub in ingrid berman or ingrid bergman sorry ingrid bergman for um Oh, what's her name? I cannot think of her name. What's the movie? Fargo. Oh, what is her name? <laughs> She's very famous. Frances McDormand. Yes. <laughs> I don't know. I think I just had Coens on the mind because I mentioned them earlier. I was like, Fargo. And then I was like, oh, what's another actress I like? Ingrid Bergman. That doesn't make any sense. <laughs> you Very, like, sophisticated, high-class European lady as... <laughs> A detective in Fargo, North Dakota. Doesn't make any sense, even in a sort of, like, Cohen-y, ironic, like, way. That just doesn't make sense. <laughs> yeah. Um, the problem is I just keep thinking of, like, movie stars. Mm-hmm. And that's just not going to fit Ikiru. Yeah. In the way that I want. Yeah. Um, yeah, I do just need, like... What movie are you putting Shimura into? What movie would I put him into? God, this is like... He could be in so much. Yeah. Um, Takeshi Shimura is in... Breathless. No. <laughs> no. I like that movie a lot more than you do, but no. I think that movie's awful. I'm not, I'm not putting that man anywhere near Godard. <laughs> Um, oh, I bet some Bergman movies he would be good in. Oh, yeah. If you could just, like, 
Because everyone's dead, and so you can just CG them all. What? He would be fucking amazing in Wild Strawberries. Yeah. Like, you can just eliminate the language barrier and just start putting Shimura into... Because, like, that could never have happened in their in their lifetimes because they didn't, like, he didn't speak yeah. Swedish, I don't imagine. <laughs> yeah. <You know? laughs> but, yeah, you're, you're CGing everybody, and so you're just going to put him in, sum him in for any Max von Sydow role in any Bergman movie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you get a very different movie, but it's still a gr- it's still going to be a classic. <laughs> yeah. I feel like that would work really well. Um I think the reverse works too. I think putting Max von Sydow in for Eddie Shimura role is really funny. Klaus asks, um, instead of Hanabi, I'm watching Soleil. Oh, um, a pretty good film by Med Hondo, the French you... voice of Donkey and Shrek. <laughs> That's a. Uh, I've been wanting to rewatch that Soleil because um, I remember it being really good, but it's been forever since I've seen it. Uh, I'm watching Soleil O about how the, uh, a pretty good film about how the French suck and the impacts of colonialism on Maratania. Um, forgive me if I said that wrong. Um, anyways, since the English title for Hanabi is Fireworks, I have to say that Castling Blossoms to the Sky by Obayashi is a pretty good film. Have a nice weekend. What's, okay, since we're so insistent about, like, foreign titles and, and like you know i'm i'm very fond of throne of blood or, or or spiderweb castle as a more direct translation for throne of blood what's your favorite like foreign title for a movie that doesn't get translated quite how you would want it to um if you want to narrow it down to just movies we've covered like teenage Nitsa is one for me yeah I, I think Teenage Nates has a much better title than Ripples and the Neon God. Yeah, I agree. I, I agree with that one. Um, um, trying to think of some other ones that like. I mean, that's Spiderweb Castle is the big one for Kurosawa movies in my mind. Um, I think Spiderweb Castle is a fantastic name. Throne of Blood also a fantastic name. Hard to go wrong with that one. <laughs> yeah. Um. I'm looking at, like, all the ones that we were... I should just look at Stairwell's movies. Yeah. That's going to be simpler. Um, Holy Story, pretty just direct translation there, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, didn't... Didn't... Pale Flower maybe have a different name? I think. Or... or, or... Pale Flower might be a little bit closer there. There was something around there that I feel like was um, a good bit different. The The Wong Kar Wai movies all have really different names, I recall. Yeah. Um, and I remember... Okay, Pale Flowers more or less direct. Um, but I recall, like, In the Mood for Love having a really good title. that Like, The Golden Years or, or, or Memories of, of the Golden Years or something. Yeah. Um, Oh, one of these, this isn't one that we um, have directly covered, but um, uh, what's the name of it? The That long one that Connor and I did. Oh, I'm, totally uh, um, I'm, the, I'm, I'm like sleepy at this Brighter point. Summer Day. Brighter Summer Day. Which is like murder um, on 4th Street or something along those lines. Yeah. Um, I mean, like, the theatrical poster had both on them, but yeah, the youth homicide incident on uh, Guling Street. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, just like a very different expectation of what that movie is going to be. Very. Um, we should, both of them are true, but we should try to watch that at one of these days. Yeah. I don't know how we're going to tackle that. We don't have like, until there's just no way for us to do like a three hour movie until like you know, your toddler is old enough to, like, not... <laughs> yeah. I mean, the, we just stay up late, I guess, is the thing. Like, if there's some time when you don't work... Saturday. Yeah, like a Saturday or a Sunday, then we could just do, like, a Friday night, yeah. and then just be up late. Yeah. And then record, you know, another night, but... yeah. And, like, me really, really try to get, like, all the dishes and stuff done so that, like, right at eight, we can... Yeah. That is just going to take a Herculean effort (sighs) that I don't ever want to kill. Anyway. Another email from M asking, um, Holy shit, who would have thought the little podcast that could is now a veteran show? Sorry, Neve, for no longer being eligible for podcast rookie of the year status. Um, I mean, I had it last year. I look forward to your sophomore slump, they say. Yeah. Um, We're just going to, like, stop watching movies and just talk about Twin Peaks for a while. So that kind of is our sophomore slump. Yeah, honestly. (laughs) That is going to be the low effort version of this podcast. Let me tell you something. (laughs) Y'all better get ready for the, like, 40 minutes of export that you got at the start of this. Because that's what you're about to get for a year. The thing is... I like we were talking about it and it's like that's like so short that we can just watch it and then immediately record. Yeah. Easily. And like get some more of our life back. <laughs> yeah. Which does mean that maybe we'll just hang out and watch a movie and then also just talk about a movie. And it'll be like yeah. this is the episode that's about a brighter summer day because we had the chance to watch a four hour yeah. movie. <laughs> uh so we're gonna talk about a four hour movie and then I guess about a Twin Peaks episode that was nothing because it's like one of the ones that's nothing. Yeah. Um, anyway, my question, nasal gazing time, looking, (laughs) navel gazing time, (laughs) looking back on the year, what do you think your best episode is? What's your favorite episode? Probably not the same thing, at least in my experience. And looking ahead to the next year, what is the one thing you think you just haven't done a great job that you're looking to work on? I love to see behind the sausage. Um, what's your favorite episode we've done? Let's start with favorite. Yeah. Um, Um... I'm trying to, I'm trying to think of like my favorite, my favorite genuinely might be the like one, two punch of rebels of the neon God into Mulholland drive. Like that, that, that we did, uh, we did rebels of the neon God, Mulholland drive and wings of desire all in pretty quick succession. There's one episode that I think is a bit of a, not a dud, but like, a less fun episode right in between those. But that felt like it's so early. That's like four, five, seven. And then Angels of the Universe, eight. We covered these great movies where I felt like so early on, those were like us finding our identity, I feel like. Where the hunger is also a huge part of our identity, I think. But in a, like a different part of like what our identity is. Yeah. I think covering like just like sort of unqualified classics, I think, like, 
early on, like, really helped this podcast. Especially, like, one of those, like, wow, or, or two of those just, like, totally unqualified classics are, like, Angels of the Universe and Rebels of the Neon God, which are, like, films from from countries that, like, I was not familiar with their cinematic culture, um, and, like, you know, there are not other podcasts out here talking about Angels of the Universe. Yeah. That thing doesn't have a Blu-ray release. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, and Rebels in the Iron God did not have a Blu-ray yeah. release when we talked about it. Um, yeah, and like Sighting Long is larger, but I feel like Rebels in the Iron God has always been a um, less talked about one in his stuff. You so know? those are those are like some of my favorite of just like it felt like it felt really good that like so early on we found an identity for what this was. You yeah. know, oh, um, one year. Hello, we, we got Lamp. Everyone's here at Podcasting Cat. Um, yeah, those were really good ones. Um, I think was the I guess the one thing with this is it was the very first time that we podcasted together in the middle of there too, episode six. Um, again, not quite as like fun or classic, but it was still just fun to be like. This is what the rhythm is going to be when we're in the same room. Yeah. You know? Um, I also think that the Suspiria House one was fun. That's just so because, good. Um, it's a we good, just two yeah. good movies back to back. Um, I will say that House lives in my memory considerably more than Suspiria does. Yeah. You know? Um, yeah. I think in the, t- in the moment of recording it, I was like, oh, Suspiria is just as good as House. A- a- and as time has gone on, I'm like, Suspiria is an all right movie. House, though, damn. <laughs> yeah. Um. I think in terms of like best episode for like what it for like this this being an episode for one person like if you're gonna listen to one episode, this is a good one to to go with. For me, is the Tokyo Drifter because you get a little bit of me mm-hmm. being on my Yakuza movie bullshit, but you don't have to hear me doing it about like Red Peony Gambler. Right. Right. <laughs> You're getting it with like an uh, absolute banger of a Yakuza movie. Yeah. Um, but also it's one where we are like putting forward this idea in a in a very like coherent way of to some degree going to the movies is just about having an aesthetic experience. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes it's like nice to encounter a movie that is almost like almost eschewing attempts to like do other interpretations of it because of how much it is just focused on the aesthetics. Um, and that's like also a valid way to watch movies, think about movies for movies to exist. Um, Cause that's at least within like most of my friend groups, it's just not a way that a lot of people talk about movies as yeah. just like, this was just like aesthetically. Yeah. And, and also what I think is great about that episode is we hit a really good thing of like, it's not just, oh, that movie was fun. I liked watching it, but it is specifically about like the art of aesthetics. Yes. And the like pleasure and joy of experiencing the art of aesthetics mm-hmm. um, beyond just like that was fun. I liked that movie, but like a thing that is like a, a more concrete um like thing just about like experiencing that and, and like actually really focusing in on like how not just did you like it, but it is like the thing itself constructing 
aesthetics in this way that is like pleasurable and is like geared towards that. Yeah. Um, um, more recently, I'm really happy with how the Boys in the Hood episode came out. I'm really happy with how the Sweet Sweetbacks episode came out. Um, and I really, really loved the Divey crossover. That's another like the 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 run of like Boys in the Hood, Divey crossover, Sweet Sweetback Cure. Yeah, those are four really good episodes. I think Cure um, Cure is one of my favorite because it was just fun to podcast with them for the first time uh-huh. and have them on and talk about a a great movie. Yeah. That, again, I'm surprised at how much people were like excited about that movie and loved that movie. I I just it is a good movie. Speaking also, of... Jackson, I know you're not listening to this, but watch Cure. Yeah. <laughs> um, speaking of the the Divey crossover, in my mind, I was like, you know, you and me and you and Connor talk about stuff in different ways. I think this will be really interesting. I think this will be like a cool like. Um, exploration of like the ways these podcasts are different, but then listening to the final product is like, oh, I was right, cool. Yeah, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I was like, oh, this idea I had actually worked because like I only had creative input on fifty percent of the idea. Yeah, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like you and Connor could have just had the same conversation that you and I would have had, and then I would have looked like a real asshole. <laughs> well, and the thing is, like for me. Part of what was interesting about it, too, was when going to record with Connor, still being like, this is how I think about this movie in the same way that I talked about you with you. But, like, Connor just being a different person and the conversation goes in a completely different direction. Yeah. Yeah. Being like, well, yeah, there's also these other parts that are like, how does this tie into Ghost in the Shell that I care about? But also when I think about Ghost in the Shell, the movie, I'm like... Oh yeah, that's a really good aesthetic movie about being depressed. Uh-huh. <laughs> um anyway. Um was there more to the M's question besides best and favorite? Looking ahead if, to the next year. If I was gonna narrow it down to best, I do think Tokyo Drifter or Mulholland. Mulholland Drive does get bogged down in like I need to explain all of Mulholland Drive's plot to like actually like, talk about what the movie is. So I don't know that it's our best episode. So I might for best episode, I might also say Tokyo Drifter. The Wings Maybe. of Desire one was really good. Yeah, too. the Wings of Desire because that one, I'm able to like get through. Okay, here's what you need to know, but that doesn't actually matter because what the movie is about is like sad German people saying poetry. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think our Tokyo Godfather's one was good too. Yeah, that one's just fun. That one's yeah. just for a lot of fun. Um. What is the one thing that you think um, you just haven't done a great job of that you're looking to work on? Um, that's a good question. Um, I think there's always a like, there's always a certain balance of like, I want to make sure that we're getting diverse films and pulling from different things. And then also like, Watching stuff that I want to be excited about in the moment. Mm-hmm. I think one of the things that um, we ran into a little bit was there's this part where, where we had stuff extremely planned out in advance. And that's just not how life works for yeah. us. Yeah. And so one is that, like, you know, we missed episodes because I was sick forever in a day. Uh-huh. Um, but also some of it is sometimes I'd be like, I was really excited to watch this. 
and now, like, two months later... Yeah. I'm like, I wish I would have just watched it when I was excited to watch it. Yeah, there's... I'm having that a little bit with, like, the Hamlet month that we planned, where when we had the idea, I was like, oh, that would be so much fun... Yeah. And then we put it on the docket and I kind of forgot about it. And then you mentioned it to me the other day. And I was like, all right, I guess I'm excited about that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, um, whereas I find myself more excited about, man, I really want to watch those two dead or alive movies. Yeah. You know, and I, yeah, like the, the mix of uh, the spontaneity and the like, um, I, I, yeah, like nailing down the the right level of like spontaneous in the moment versus like we kind of need to plan stuff out because like the the logistics of like you know how the podcast is made. Yeah, well, and also some of the like some of the impulse to plan stuff out for me at least came from like if we're planning stuff out, I can look at it a little bit more, <clears throat> and then because I have more time, I can think about like oh, do I really want to just do a bunch of movies that are like this? Uh Let me try and work in some other stuff that, like, I want to do to, like, diversify. This is some other thing I've been meaning to watch or whatever to, like, try and get things more varied, pull from different nations, stuff like that. Well, and for Um, me, there's an element of when I have to pick, it is, like, anxiety-inducing. So when I'm able to make those picks months in advance, it's, like, takes so much pressure off because I'm, like, well, at some point, I'm going to want to talk about, you know, di- Diagram Pole Fighter. Let's put it on the list and, yeah. you know, find a spot for it somewhere. Yeah. Um, but I think it's just a thing of, like, I think I just need to find... I started planning this the way that I planned Divey, mm-hmm. and Divey's just such a different show. I am too much of an element of chaos. To Well, and it, it's part of it's that, and part of it is that, like... Watching an entire season of anime is just a thing that I have to plan out more. Yes, yes. Um, and being like, oh, here's the, like, three shows that we want to watch. Okay, that's the year, uh-huh. right? Whereas, like, this is like, oh, okay, here's the three movies that I want to watch. That's, like... The month. The month. And I think I just need to, like, not plan for quite as far ahead with a lot of mm-hmm. um, stairwell stuff. I think yeah. it'll... it'll It'll end up playing up. I think, I think in some ways, like doing the David Lynch thing might help with that because it might, we might be able to be like, well, we watched, you know, I came over Thursday and we watched Twin Peaks and recorded right away. And then I came over Friday and was just like, hey, do you want to watch Snake and Eagle Shadow 2? And you were like, yeah, I want to watch Snake and Eagle Shadow 2. Yeah, it's not nearly as good. And like, none of the people involved in the original one like the big important people are involved in this one and they literally just named it that to try and get like money from the success of the first one. But yeah, let's watch snake and Eagle shadow too. Yeah. Like I think so. I think as long as you've seen the original snake and Eagle shadow, well, first, yeah. because I don't even know if there is a second snake and Eagle shadow. Is. Okay. There are, there are multiple movies that are in some way ripping off the name of snake and Eagle shadow. Uh, cause this is not just one that's a classic in retrospect. People saw that movie when it first came out and they were like, this is the greatest movie ever made. And they were right. <laughs> <laughs> I like how drunken master two is a remake of drunken master just 20 years later. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, some of my two is the English titles are often even more just like Confusing. that one. 
that yeah. one that you want to watch, uh, we're going to make it really hard for you to find that one. Yeah. Because <laughs> we, we want you to watch this other one that's not that good. The Bruce Lee, like, trying to untangle the mess of, like, Bruce Lee titles in English distribution of, like, there's Fist of Fury, and there's Fists of Fury, and there's the Chinese Connection, and... Two of those are the same movie, but I'll be damned if I remember which one is which. <laughs> yeah. And there's The Big Boss. I think that's the same movie as The Chinese Connection, but I can't remember. <laughs> um, yeah, I think some of it is just... But the other thing that I learned is that I think sometimes I need to have, like, here's a project in my head of something that would be fun to do on stairwells. And treat it the way that I treated some of the Yakuza movie stuff, where it's like, here's a list of movies that I think would be great to watch as like a, th- a thing, but we don't need to watch them all at once. Mm-hmm. We can, whenever I start feeling like, ah, oh, we can pull this one in. Yeah. we can. And I've had to plan things out a little bit more for like this, but also like, I mean, one of it is like, I mean, we'd have to talk to M because I want to get M on for both Dead or Alive movies, but like we can move that if we wanted to. Mm-hmm. Um. It will be fun to just end there and be like, here's where Yakuza movies went <laughs> after Kitano. Um, Man, you know what I was thinking about? That first movie is so dumb, but like some of it is really fun. And then that second movie, genuinely great. It's kind of crazy we didn't do a Tetsuo the Iron Man episode. I'm really glad that we didn't, but like... We kind of did, though. We kind of did. Yeah. That's the other thing about naming like best episodes is there's like a lot of like discussion of stuff that just gets like lost in my mind because there's not a Tetsuo movie or there's not a Tetsuo episode. There's not an episode where I just tell you the entire plot of Deep Cover for no reason. (laughs) (laughs) I was just really excited about Deep Cover and had to tell somebody. Um, One of the reasons why I like started doing this whole other part in the stairwells grades was just so that like. If someone's like, what is that episode where they talked about Tetsuo the Iron Man? They can go look at the spreadsheet yeah. and figure it out. I didn't intend for that column to be so much longer than the main episode. Episode thirty eight. <laughs> um, uh, that was just a, that was just us catching up. So that really was the Tetsuo the Iron Man. Oh, that's right. I did the uh, Oops All Nana Brain Berserk Brain cover. Oh right. Where we're both just right. thinking it and then speaking the episode where it's Tetsuo the Iron Man. <sighs> Because it really Tetsuo was the just Iron the Tetsuo of the Iron Man. I love that, that We could We could have just called it that. Um, <laughs> we could have just as easily called it the pig episode, though. You know? Like, yeah. Um, man, the French Dispatch of the Liberty Kansas Evening Sun. That's a good movie. I forgot about that. That's a good movie. Um, Speaking of Francis, Francis that's McDormand. not a good movie, but it is, I think, the most fun of the style like me just randomly grabbing a movie because it's supposed to be kind of erotic and about vampires and constantly being disappointed it's that the there's least, not enough tits. It's the least vampire one, but it was the most fun. Um That's it for questions. Yeah. I'm getting sleepy. Yeah. It's I'm only 10:30, but we're fucking tired. Um I've just been like the last few days I've just been like tired constantly. Yeah. Um, I think being sick for a really long time just like wore me down. You know what? You know what sucks the most about us being sick for so much? 
is that we weren't able to really do like the dressed to kill episode. Like we talked about dressed to kill at length in that episode, but like there's been so many episodes where it's like, oh, this is in <clears throat> in name, this is the Akira episode, but actually it ended up just being the Akira and Evangelion episode or whatever. Yeah, that's the one where we officially named it. Yeah. Like, we had that in there. But... but, like, if we had been able to record, the like, the next episode on schedule, the Aquarius episode would have been more about Dress to Kill than about Aquarius. Well, we, I'm positive. It would have been probably equal amounts. Yeah. The funniest one of this is the one where we watched Kagemusha. Yeah. <laughs> That oh, is right. the Kagemusha episode. <laughs> oh, right. That's not the Kagemusha. What did, what did, where did we talk about Kagemusha? Um, I just need to, we are like in full naval gazing mode right now, but, um, that's what, that's what I'm asked for. Um, episode 32, <laughs> she's, she's gotta, gotta have it. it. She's gotta have it. It's a really good movie. <laughs> yeah. I feel like we did justice by it, but we definitely talked about Kagemusha a lot longer. <laughs> Not that much longer, but definitely longer. Um, in its defense, it is a much longer movie, but... In its defense, it's a much better movie. <laughs> yeah, it's also, like, one of the great last movies by Kurosawa rather than the first movie. Though. Yeah. She's got to have a really, really, really spectacular movie. Can't recommend it enough. Um, Kagemusha is a masterpiece. <laughs> yeah. Kagemusha is a four-hour flex. <laughs> Like, I think I am the best goddamn director who's ever lived, and I'm gonna show it. <laughs> yeah, it's not nearly the the best like uh, chance that you could give to Spike Lee to go up against. Yeah, <laughs> it's not even the fairest fight you could do by a long shot. You do the first movies; she's gotta have it blows like the first four Kurosawa movies out of the water. She's Next. gotta have it better than. Um, no regrets for our youth, which... Stairwells episode 120, in which we compare Do the Right Thing and Seven Samurai. A much more fair comparison. <laughs> Do the Right Thing, the greatest American movie ever, versus <laughs> fucking Seven Samurai. <laughs> um... Do I believe that? I might. Yeah. I might. I might. It's like... It's like do the right thing or alien. Those are like the two. <laughs> yeah. Or Casablanca, um, I guess. Anyway. If people want to hear me talk more about Sony Hina, they can go find the old Swim Fans episode. That is why we watched it in the first place. We hadn't started Stairwells yet, and I watched it for... You were, like, kind of ready to start Stairwells, but I was I'm like, like, I can't do two podcasts about this movie at the same time. I was like, we had a, the idea of Stairwells, but I was like, man, I just, right now I'm really into movies, but, like, I don't know if it's gonna stick, and, like, I don't, I don't know if I have time for another podcast, and now this is, like, the podcast that, like, when everything else stops, I tr generally try to get this one going, other than the last month or so. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, that's just been extremely... Yeah. A mess of sicknesses. <laughs> but, you know, when, like, Bag End and Gotham get canceled, this podcast still fucking runs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, most of the time. Um, yeah. And then we'll do... Oh, so, yeah, people can go listen to that Swim Fans episode. Um, and 
it just turns out that the way that uh, we podcast is very different than the way that swim fans podcast. They like take orderly turns um, <laughs> and stuff. There's a lot more editing that happens in post. And uh, I'm barely going to edit this. Yeah, we're going to edit out one part where I like coughed too much. And that's about it. <laughs> yeah. And then I'm just going to like throw some music at the front and the end. And I'm going to cut the little part at the the very beginning where um, I showed you a meme that you've never seen before in your life. And that'll come after the, the music. You know, what? Uh, after Bella Lugosi's dead. And then like, that's it there. I don't cut anything else out of this. I don't, and they just edit it so much. And so what happens is when you listen to it, it sounds like I steamroll them in a way that like was not the actual experience to me. Someone just trying to fill time on a podcast, not used to the way that they do stuff. So I'm going to try and be a little bit more like, sit and take my turn now that I know the way that they run things when I think they're going to have me back to talk about the first battles without. Nice. I don't know when that's happening. I thought that recording was happening soon and I haven't heard anything about it, but, um, what was I going to say? Oh, I don't know why, but while you were talking, I think because you mentioned Bella Lugosi's dead and I was like, Oh, it's really funny that we just like hit on the thing that we're going to do in this podcast in the very first episode is just play Bella Lugosi's dead. Really, the thing is that it it became a joke because you were so, like, nervous about playing a about ten minute playing song. a ten minute song at the end of the podcast, <laughs> and then I was just like, "That's very funny. Let's keep doing it." Yeah, <laughs> but anyway, and nobody complained when we did it, and now it's a part of the podcast. While you were talking, my brain went to like, "Oh, Bella Lugosi's dead," to David Bowie aging in that movie, to just imagining. Like, us doing this podcast when we're 86, and, like, one of us on life support. <laughs> and we're like, all right, we're going to watch The Hunger, and then, you know, we're going to cut the life support. <laughs> and then the ornate stairwells will be over. We're going to fucking watch The Hunger one last time. <laughs> um, I was just going to say that Okagoro is real, but we still haven't done plugs. You can find me on Twitter at Tumnal underscore coffee. You can find all the other podcasts I do by going to exportodd.io. That's the Patreon page, but we have links to all the free feeds there, like exportodd.io slash ghostdivers, for example, or exportodd.io slash Batman, if you like Batman as much as I do. Um, I was going to say no one likes Batman as much as I do, but then I remembered that's not true. That's not there true. Are, there are people who like Batman a lot more than I do. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, um... Or you can give us a dollar a month, you can get this podcast early, you can get Bag End Book Club early. Um, that it will, we're going to stay going weekly with that, by the way. Uh, for uh, people listening to this will probably know that from Bag End by now, but um, all through the Silmarillion, we're just going to cut our, like, how many chapters we read each week in half on the schedule we, like, sketched out. So we'll cover less chapters at a faster pace, and it'll even out. Um... Or $5 a month, you get uh, Pop Town Funk and coming soon, The Weed of Time. I started reading The Eye of the World today. Uh, I love when there is a boy who is a chosen one. <laughs> yeah. Um, you already talked about Ghost Divers, which is my podcast. You can find me on Twitter at FoxMania. Um, yeah, listen to Ghost Divers. Go listen to that Nana episode that yeah. him and i did um 
one of the shortest episodes. I mean, there's that one where you watched all of Utena finally and just randomly called me up, and I think that was a similar length. So. Yeah. I feel like those bonus episodes don't run as long. That that Utena episode low-key one of the better episodes of Stairwells. Wait, what? The 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 episode of Ghost Divers. Yeah. Where I finished Utena and just randomly called you up to talk about it. Yeah. Low and then it one of the better episodes in... of Stairwells. Yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh people can go listen to that, I guess, if they haven't. Yeah. Um and I've watched all of Utena, which has gotta be some of you. Yeah. I know a bunch of you homos listen to that. <laughs> the the weird say thing. Homo. <laughs> the weird thing is imagining the person who is listening to episode what forty of this podcast? Uh, it's like forty-two, forty-three. 43. The person who is listening to episode forty-three of this podcast has seen all of Utena, but has not gone and listened to us talk about Utena. <laughs> I'm sure it exists. Yeah. Okokoro. Shout out to you. Okokoro is real. Okokoro is real.
some point crack? <laughs> um, I just showed you bigger than before. I hit record. <laughs> you had no knowledge of bigger than before. What the fuck did I just watch? Bigger than before. Wait, one day. She, <laughs> she stuck her hand into a glass full of maple syrup. <laughs> it was vile. Why did you show me that? What was the purpose? <laughs> well, it was bigger than before. Ah! jokey jokes to say or am I hitting stop? I'm so tired, dude. Me too.
I'm gonna sleep forever. That's not true. I, I have to watch two episodes forever. of Bakano.